You're listening to The Thrive Podcast with your host, Kathleen Drennan, corporate executive turned creative entrepreneur. Listen in as Kathleen shares all the things about marketing, money, and managing your mindset. She'll provide you with the tools and templates you can use today to help grow your business and move one step closer to creating your best life. Ladies, you got this. The countdown to Christmas is on. <laughs> like, are you ready? Buckle up, my friends. Because while every other human on the planet is out there spreading their Christmas cheer, I sat down with the beautiful humans on my team and I said, we're trying to navigate what's happening through November, December, January and February and who's taking holidays and where are people going to go and all that stuff. And I said, okay guys, well here's something that you need to know. We don't celebrate Christmas. (laughs) And you're like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Kathleen? Well, before you assume that I'm a total Christmas Grinch, let me tell you how we got here into this whole no pressure, no Christmas, do whatever the heck you want to be doing. So you might be disgusted with me and you might be totally let down by the fact that we don't wake up on the 25th of December and throw gifts at each other. Now, I know when I told the girls this, they wanted to just end the Zoom call, walk off the job, I don't think I can work with you anymore. And I was like, well, now here's the thing, my friends. I will fully admit to having childhood Christmas trauma. I don't know if that's a real thing, but I can tell you right now, my memories of Christmas are not spectacular. And I know that that is the byproduct of parents who divorced, and then being in a relationship with somebody whose family lives on the other side of the country. So, me and my people-pleasing kind of ways trying to navigate all of my family's expectations, right? Divorced parents, oh, who's Kathleen going to choose to be with on the big day? Got to make everybody happy. And then, also putting the pressure on myself to want to make all of my in-law family happy, so you need to go out and see them as well. Wow. Plus... Can we also talk about the fact that I am a December baby? Me and my December baby behavior is always overshadowed by Christmas. Or if you go to university in Canada, you're always faced with final exams in December. So there's always been like so much happening in December and my niece's birthday's in December and My sister-in-law's birthday is in December, and it's like, this is way too much. This is way too much happening. There's too many expectations. There's too much Kathleen's Christmas childhood trauma, too much birthdays, too many things happening. So you know what the great way to solve that problem is? Get on an airplane and fly to the other side of the world and just don't go back for Christmas. (laughs) It's a great way to just navigate the situation is like, I am out right? We are George from Seinfeld, and it's like, just always leave them wanting more, close the door, I am gone. It's like too much for me to handle. Obviously, great coping mechanisms for Kathleen to just get on a plane. Kathleen and Sloan will just go over to Australia, don't have to worry about disappointing anybody in their family about Christmas. And then do you know what happened 
when we arrived in this country 13 years ago. We were also jobless when we got here. Did not have an abundance of money. We arrived in Australia in 2008, literally exactly when Bear Stearns and the whole stock market crash happened. We assumed we were never going to get jobs. Scarcity thinking at its best. We're going to die hungry. Everything's going to turn to shit. I'm going to have to go back and live in my dad's house. That's what I assumed. So the very first Christmas that we were here in Australia, we decided not to gift each other presents. We decided we were going to have a very special dinner that I was going to make for us, and that was going to be our Christmas experience. My friends, best thing that ever happened. Because then the next Christmas, we were like, huh, last year's Christmas was awesome. We should totally do that again. 13 Christmases later, <laughs> I cannot tell you how much I love our Christmas experience because there is zero expectation. I think one year I decided maybe I should buy us presents. So I bought us presents, I did us the stocking thing, whatever, and then we had our fill and that was fine. Honestly, I know that this whole experience just offends some of you and that's okay because you love Christmas and you love the experience with it. But I'm also going to tell you, when it's 35 degrees outside, or what is that in Fahrenheit? Probably like 100 and something. When it's over 100 degrees outside, so you don't feel like eating a turkey. You definitely don't even want to eat that much. And like the whole having to go through the, the like experience of putting up a Christmas tree, and it's like you're not going to even have a real Christmas tree in this country. So no, like no Christmas tree, my friends. Plus, one of the things that my mom did when I was a kid, and I am not a homeschooled child, but my mom did some amazing kind of, what do you, would you even call it, like alternative educational things out of her own pure curiosity, which is phenomenal. Because I remember one Christmas, she actually decided we were going to spend the Christmas season and like the winter season, the festive season, just learning about and experiencing all these other different versions of celebration, festive celebration, happy festivus, right? We actually literally went through and experienced Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, St. Lucia's Day, the traditional experience of Boxing Day that isn't go bust down Best Buy and buy all the things for no reason. Like literally, my mother is amazing in so many ways because she decided, even though we're like a traditional, I don't know, mainstream Western Canadian white family, yeah, you have zero Jewish heritage in your family, but you're going to learn about Hanukkah. Kwanzaa. Like, this is, it was so fun to learn about all of these different experiences, and then also going, you know what, we can make our own festive experience whenever we dang want to. So, I'm going to tell you right now, I love the Christmas season, because I have zero pressure and zero expectation, it is the single best thing in the entire world. Now, I'm not going to lie, it is way easier if you fly to the other side of the world and you tell your family you're not coming back for Christmas. <laughs> That whole environment and that whole context makes just breaking all the rules way better. But, my friends, <laughs> just remember, you don't have to do anything. If you don't want to go out and buy a whole bunch of shit for Christmas, then don't go. If you don't want to sit down and have a pretend good time with somebody in your family, don't do it. Tell them that I said you don't have to do anything. 
particularly if you live in Australia and somebody's asking you to dress up in a Santa outfit and it's polyester and it's 40 degrees out, oh my God, that is like, that is probably my worst case scenario. Like, oh, being like a signboard holder on the side of a road in a Santa Claus outfit. I mean, it happens. It's a thing. People have those jobs. It's just not a job I would ever want. It is probably Kathleen's worst case scenario which is a great tie-in for today's podcast episode. Because today we are going to talk about giving airtime to your brain's worst-case scenario. And I know you've probably never actually sat down and thought about it, and even just the idea of pausing for a second to think about it fills you with terror and dread and overwhelm and just a general sense of awfulness. But this exercise is so helpful and I did this a couple of days ago with some of the humans inside of my Flower Boss boot camp because we don't ever actually articulate what our worst case scenario is. But we end up making all of these decisions from fear just trying to kind of bounce off and just hoping that our worst case scenario never happens. And it's so interesting how helpful it can be for us as business owners to articulate and see what our worst case scenario is and give ourselves concrete metrics as to how we will know we are living our worst case scenario. Because the minute that you know about that is the minute you can take even bigger, bolder steps forward. It's the minute that you can show up with even more courage because all of a sudden you'll realize there's about 15 steps between where you are right now and your actual worst case scenario. And even more powerful than that is you can then come up with a plan for what you're going to do should your worst case scenario actually happen. So then all of a sudden you've completely changed your relationship with the worst case scenario and recognizing it ain't so bad at all. So then your relationship with fear is very different. And we do this inside of module nine and module nine is literally the module where we talk about the fear of failure because we all have it. Right? We all have this mission of wanting to create a successful business and this unspoken truth of being afraid of failure. But one of the things that's really helpful inside of this program is I encourage you to actually write down, right, pen and paper or write it out, actually articulate for yourself what your worst case scenario is. And when I asked my boot camp students, for some examples, here's what they came back with. Worst case scenarios would be not making any sales, not making what people want, ruining somebody's wedding. I'm afraid of my client picking another florist. I am afraid of succeeding. I'm also afraid of not being able to manage everything myself. I am afraid of not being able to dedicate my full attention to my business. And what is so helpful to know is that we can go in one by one and start to pick those apart and really start to see what that looks like in a very real and concrete way and take all of the fear of even just thinking about our worst case scenario away. It gives you your power back in terms of understanding you already have a plan. 
right? You know what your worst case scenario is and you already have a backup plan should you find yourself there one day. And remembering, it's so good for us to remember. As human beings, our brain is programmed for us to avoid fear. We literally think, right, if we don't have this level of consciousness, we literally think that something has gone wrong when we feel afraid and then we should stop. We use the feeling of fear as a sign that we should stop doing anything, when in actual fact, that's not how it's meant to be. Fear is a very normal part of the human experience. Fear is part of the emotional spectrum that we have the capacity to feel as human beings. Literally, nothing has gone wrong if you feel afraid. Nothing has gone wrong if you feel fear. What it means is that you're a human being living a full human experience. We have feelings and we have emotions on purpose. On the list of emotions as a human being is fear, right? We have the ability to feel thousands. Like the number of English words for feelings in the human experience is like thousands upon thousands. If you actually went and Googled a list of human emotions or human feelings, you're going to be bombarded with the number of words that you're going to find, right? And it always starts when we're young and we learn about like mad, sad, glad, but then the language that you develop over the next few decades to be able to very specifically describe your feeling, right? And sometimes it's so subtle. And feelings are such a powerful part of the human experience. But we are never, ever, ever taught how to feel our feelings. Like, it's not a thing that they sit us down. <laughs> like, why is there no, like, feelings 100 class at university? <laughs> And like, why are we not learning about feelings at the same time that we're learning about like addition and subtraction and all of the fancy mathematics? Like, why are the people who are generations ahead of us not taking the time to then teach us as the young people, hey, here's the role of emotions as a human being. You were born with a body that feels things and our feelings are generated by our thinking in actual fact, we are growing up in environments where people like to tell us and they like to teach us and they like to show us that we are meant to be happy all of the time. And then when you and I aren't happy all of the time, we either do something to fix it, something kind of short-term and superficial in many cases, or we'd like push it away and push it down and reject it and don't want to feel whatever the not happy feeling is, or we tell ourselves that something's wrong with us because we are supposed to be happy all of the time. Same thing happens with fear, right? That entire dynamic about feeling afraid, we just run the other direction from either wanting to practice feeling afraid, allowing the fear, allowing the feeling of afraid, the feeling of fear, to be in our body, and in most cases, we just reject it all together. And what's really interesting, right, and you know this, is as a business owner, right, as somebody who wants to push themselves outside of their comfort zone and is trying new things every day, your brain is going to talk you out of it a lot. And we think, well, I feel afraid, I feel fearful, therefore, 
I should stop, right? We use it as a perfect indicator for not taking any further action, which is exactly what your brain wants you to do because something bad could happen should you show your face on Instagram stories. <laughs> like literally, right? Like if you raise your prices, something bad might happen. <laughs> Don't do that. I feel afraid of raising my prices. This is an aside, but it does, it shows me how like all of our human brains are so similar. Because I received this message on Instagram a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and um, this designer was helping a friend of his out, and he said, I wanted to talk to my friend about pricing, because he knows that he's not charging enough, and I want to talk him through this, and his, what he explained to me yesterday was that he's afraid that his existing clientele won't come back and order flowers from him. And here's what's interesting, right? Like, that's a totally normal thought process I think every single one of us has had, right? When we finally kind of see the evidence of the fact that we're not charging enough, our brain is going to come up with a thousand reasons why we shouldn't raise our prices, right? And something that feels very real and feels very compelling is the fear of what our existing clients are going to say to us if the next time they order flowers, we come back and say, well, the price is actually 100 bucks, not 60 bucks, right? And whenever we do that, essentially, we talk ourselves out of taking that action, and it means that we've handed over the decision-making power of our business to the customer, right? Because if we, as the CEO, are afraid of what that potential customer is going to think, so we don't take action in our business, that is literally allowing that customer to be in charge of your business, it's so interesting when you can start to watch your brain go through some of these thought processes because it feels, right, and I use air quotes around that, but it feels very real to worry about what your customer is going to think when you raise your prices. So we decide we're not going to raise our prices, but you've just handed your power over to that customer. So why is that customer not standing in the CEO shoes? Right? It's so interesting, the dynamic that it shifts when we realize, oh, oh, okay, brain. I get that you're worried that that customer isn't going to understand why the price is now 120 and it used to be 80 or it's now 100 bucks and it used to be 60 Dear primitive brain, I completely understand that you're afraid. But I'm also going to run my business from a position of authority and I know I need to price these prices this way in order for me to be able to stay in business. So this is what we're going to do. And if that customer chooses to not spend any more money with us, that's fine because there's hundreds of thousands of more customers out in the world. One customer is not going to make or break your business. So really it's so helpful for us to start to become aware of the stories that we're telling ourselves, the stories that we're believing that are preventing us from taking the actions that we know we need to take in our business. And the vast majority of our decisions that we make in our business, if they aren't intentional decisions, they are coming from a place of fear. So many floral designers give up because we think that when we feel fear, something has gone wrong. We think we should all have come out of the womb feeling confident having the full capacity to be able to feel authoritative in this experience, and that at no point in time in our business should we feel afraid. 
right? We are conditioned to believe that it should be all sunshine, rainbows, lollipops, and daisies, and sprinkled donuts. And then when we have to tackle something challenging or hard in our business, we stop because we're convinced we're doing something wrong if we're not happy-go-lucky all of the time. This whole experience of running a business and making money and pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone is a whole new level of personal growth, right? It's why talking about your mindset is such an integral part of the business development journey because I can teach you exactly what to post on Instagram. I literally will show you how to set up your website. Here are the words. Here are the sections that you need to set up. Here's how to write your about me page. Like every single detail of this whole system you can have. And then you need to step into the identity of being the CEO of that kind of business. You need to have the bravery to be able to set your brand at such a level that you're like, holy fucking shit, who is this? (laughs) And that identity crisis, that uncertainty is what we go through inside of the Flower Boss Bootcamp. Because if we can't make the mindset shift, I don't care how often I talk to you about pricing, you're never going to charge full price. If you don't feel worth or qualified or capable of being to charge in line with the industry standard or more, you're never going to be able to charge those prices. And it always comes back to the stories that we're telling ourselves. It's why literally inside the Flower Boss Bootcamp, I have dedicated an entire module to rewriting our relationship with fear. Right? So when you guys are like, oh, Kathleen, like, what do you cover? Do you cover pricing? Do you cover wedding inquiries? Will you teach me about Instagram reels? Oh, yeah, of course I will. Done. You can go here. You can find that here. You can find that here. Now, let's talk about your relationship with fear. Because my goal is to help you change the trajectory of your business and to change the trajectory of your life. And then I want you to go out into the world and I want you to teach your friends about it and I want you to teach your kids about it and I want you to teach your friends' kids about it. Because the world needs this work so much and it's so powerful to know we can go in and have an amazing combination of marketing skills and mindset tricks and learning how to actually make money in your flower business and it's all just sitting there waiting for you inside of the flower boss boot camp so inside this module when we talk about your worst case scenario right if we go in and kind of pick apart some of these examples right the first example is my worst case scenario is not making any sales that's a super common thought for us to have right my worst case case scenario is zero dollars in revenue when in actual fact right if we get very specific about some of these situations there are going to be lots of days in your business if we take the 10,000 foot view where you might actually have zero days of revenue or you might actually have very little money coming in. No matter where you are on your business journey, it's very possible, even if you've been in business for a decade, that there are going to be days when you have zero dollars of revenue coming through the till. So, so what? Having zero dollars of revenue is all just part of the experience. The real question is, what are you making zero dollars mean? And what are you going to do about it? Because if you're going to have one day 
or five days or 15 days or 36 days with zero dollars in revenue, what do you want to do about it? Absolutely. You could make it mean you're not good enough. You're not going to be able to figure this out. You might as well throw in the towel and go get a job. Or you can look at zero dollars of revenue and be like, this is all part of the process. It's all unfolding exactly the way that it's supposed to. Zero dollars is all part of this journey. Now I need to get to work and figure out how to crack the marketing code. Now, the second example is the idea of or the fear of not making what somebody wants. Said another way is the fear of either letting down a customer or receiving a customer complaint. Do you know what's so helpful? Is to even know that that's something that you're afraid of. I am afraid of letting down the customer. It is so powerful to even have you write that down so you can look at it, right? I am afraid of not making what somebody wants. The exercise of just getting that out of your head, giving it airtime and seeing it on paper is so powerful. And I'll promise, I have let people down. I have received customer complaints. I have done things where our clients haven't been happy. But through this work, I have also been able to really understand, oh, right, Kathleen, that customer complaint means nothing about your self-worth. It doesn't mean anything about you as a human being. What it means is that there is a disconnect between your communication and your client's expectations. It becomes a very factual, fact-finding mission, which can always be solved with systems, process, and communication. So then you can come back and you can be like, okay, so when you do receive a customer complaint, and it's not a matter of if, my friend, it is a matter of when. When you do receive a customer complaint, what are the questions you want to ask? What are the scripts you can put in place? How can you better understand your client's expectations? What can you do up front to help manage your client's expectations and educate them on the process? It all comes down to putting a better system and process in place in your business. And it has nothing to do with you as a human being. And what can we do ahead of time to educate and empower our clients so that they understand and they know and they can start to visualize or see in a bit more detail how the heck this whole thing works. Because remember, your clients don't know as much as you do. And so much of our work is untangible and it's conceptual and we have to do so much in terms of managing our clients' expectations and doing that ahead of time without being able to show them pictures, without being able to show them exactly what it's going to look like and all they want is answers and sometimes you can't give them what they want to hear. But just knowing and recognizing and articulating and writing down for yourself that you have a fear of not making what somebody wants. Okay. What are you going to do with that? It's so powerful. This work is so freeing. Because then you can start to get to the next layer, right? I'm afraid of rejection. Right? This idea of I hate the experience of hearing my potential clients saying no to me. Right? And here's something else that is never talked about in the floral design industry. But if we look outside of our industry and we look to other sales industries, fun fact 75% of the humans who even reach out to talk to you are never going to buy from you. 75%. That's a lot of the humans, right? 75% of every single person that you talk to, you might have a wedding consultation with, they might come to your website, 
They might interact with you in some capacity. 75% are going to say no, thank you. I came up with this idea, we were on a call a couple weeks ago, and I came up with this idea where I was like, I don't eat cereal. So I don't eat gluten. I am very like aware of what I put in my body so that if Kathleen ever goes down the cereal aisle, do you know what? She rejects every single cereal that's on the table. <laughs> it's like, this was such a good example for me because I was like, well, the corn pops don't give a rat's ass what Kathleen does when she walks down the aisle, right? Cocoa Puffs, Special K, Raisin Bran, Wheat Bix, None of the boxes of Kellogg's cereal care when Kathleen walks down the cereal aisle. And I was like, wow. Like, I know that they're an inanimate object, but I find that example so powerful because, I mean, Mr. Cocoa Puffs might walk by and think he's like the best cereal on the planet. But just out of like a fundamental flaw, Kathleen's always going to say no. Mr. Cocoa Puffs can just go on and find somebody else to buy the cereal. Kathleen can find an alternative solution, right? And Mr. Cocoa Puffs doesn't have to make my no mean anything about his worthiness as a cereal box. And I know that this is a crazy example, but it is so helpful. I often think this too, right? You sit down at a restaurant, you look at the menu. The vast majority of the things on that menu, you're not going to eat. <laughs> Right? All of the things on the menu that you're not ordering are being rejected. And they seem to be okay. So, I know that this might be a silly example, but I do find this really helpful just to kind of get out of our own brain a little bit. Like, I know that it sounds silly, but I find it so helpful to almost put myself in the place of like, I don't know, the beautiful like bocconcini and fresh basil salads that the person didn't order. <laughs> But I want the beautiful bocconcini and basil salad to know that it's still fully worthy, right? It's so helpful for us to just shift our perspective, reframe how we're telling ourselves the story because we don't have to make the rejection, we don't have to make the no mean anything. The last scenario I wanted to dig into, and one that I found really interesting, right, was the, the worst case scenario is I'm not going to be able to dedicate my full attention to my business, and it really piqued my interest because I was like, what is your full attention? Like, I'm guessing you're going to get a chunk of hours of sleep at night, right? So let's assume between the experience of getting ready for bed, going to bed, waking up in the morning, that's a third of your day. So if you have 24 hours in a day, that's eight hours gone. So by definition, you as a human being can't give your full attention to your business, so what else are you telling yourself in terms of your expectations? And it's so interesting how much our perfectionist fantasies come up, right, and really bite us in the ass because we tell ourselves, oh, I need to give full attention to my business. And then Kathleen comes along and is like, okay, what's your full attention? Like how many hours? Give me a measurable metric here about what your full attention is. Because is it a full 24 hours, seven days a week, because we all know that's not going to happen. <laughs> or is it that it's three hours, four days a week? Or is it 12 hours, six days a week? Like, you get to define what your full attention is, and everybody's full attention, each one of our full attentions is, is going to be different. Right, Because you might be there balancing aging parents, um, kids in school, 
husband working from home, new business. Somebody else is going to be balancing moving flower shops, five kids, husband also works in the business with them, staff of seven, like everybody in their own situation gets to define for themselves what full attention means, right? But if we don't give airtime, if we don't articulate, if we don't write down, my fear is I'm not going to be able to give my full attention to my business. As soon as you write that down, you can bring in your prefrontal cortex and you can start to look at this and be like, okay, so what is my full attention? Let's get curious, right? Like, what does my brain think that full attention is? Is it like every waking minute of the day? Or do I want to choose a minimum baseline? Do I want to choose what I want my full attention to be and set myself some boundaries, set some constraints and set some structure so that I'm not just sitting here beating myself up eight hours of a day and not even doing anything to move my business forward. Remember in last week's session how we talked about calling ourselves out on what we think we're supposed to be or what we should be doing. This is where this all becomes really helpful because we can see where our expectations or where our attachment, where the stories that we're telling ourselves are getting in the way of us actually creating the business that we want to create. So your homework from this week's episode is to get really curious about what your fear is based on. What is your worst case scenario? I will tell you as well, for me, my worst case scenario, the underlying thought that I have had because my father is a trustee in bankruptcy, right? So he comes in and he basically helps close down people's businesses and he helps save personal bankruptcies from people who have either overexpended themselves, gotten into some crisis situation in terms of not being able to dig themselves out of a hole or just are overspenders in some capacity, So when you grow up in that environment, I'll tell you right now, (laughs) you kind of know where this story is going to go because Kathleen's worst case scenario is my business is going to get taken away and I'm never going to recover. I am going to die homeless on the street. That's literally like my brain thinks that that is my worst case scenario. It occurred to me a couple of weeks ago, and this just blew my brain up. It literally occurred to me that in 2020, our revenue was taken away. We had so many angry clients, angry customers, and I didn't even get to live into the experience of the business that I had been working so hard to create. When COVID came along and wiped out all of our revenue, it literally required me to sit down and regroup and rethink my plan. But here's the thing. I know, and I did the work to define for myself what my worst case scenario was, right? Revenue stops coming in the door, zero dollars in the bank account. Kathleen always is going to have the safety net of at least $30,000 in savings so that she can navigate this situation. And I will always give myself permission to go out and get a job anytime the state of the nation changes. Thank goodness we were even more prepared than we ever needed to be in this situation so that our life didn't actually have to be all that compromised because of the entire revenue in our business being wiped out. 
It's so fascinating. It's like the minute you can actually recognize and understand what your worst case scenario is, you can plan for it. So then even if you're not even aware, right? If you're like me and you recognize uh, a year later that your worst case scenario actually happened (laughs) and you're still standing, I'm like, holy fucking shit, I'm amazing. (laughs) Like literally, I was like, oh, well, crap, dear brain, right? I was convinced worst case scenario is going to happen. I'm going to have to kind of, I don't know what, get on an airplane and move back in with my father. But no, because Kathleen knew what her worst case scenario was and she had a plan to think through if something in our business truly tragic happens, we've got our backup plan. We'll just activate the backup plan. And here's the thing that also happens. Like, this is so weird. I feel like I have talked to you about this before, so I'm not going to go on and on and on about it. But when you get old, and by that I mean like over 40, and you start talking about things like life insurance, (laughs) and literally you have to have the conversation about what you're going to do if one of you dies. Oh my God, it's intense, right? And planning wills and thinking about money and future planning and retirement and all of these things that I was like, I'm not an adult. (laughs) In my head, I am forever 27. I don't need to worry about these things ever. But then you do. And I already know, right? Should tragedy strike, I've already planned out exactly what I'm going to do. So I can live into this experience, right? I can live into every day. And you have less chains, less uncertainty, less fear kind of holding you back. So incredibly powerful, my friend. So take some time. If you're in the car, just even like just say it out loud, right? My worst case scenario is every single customer is going to find out what I have to offer. They're all going to say no. I'm going to keep trying at this for three years and then I'm going to give up. Okay. Then what? Like you get to neutralize the whole experience and then you can come up with a plan. You're like, how long do you want to give it a go? How will you know for sure that you're going to stop? Right? As opposed to this like vague, nebulous story that we tell ourselves that we're just also putting layers of judgment and fear and uncertainty on top of it. So we talk ourselves out of taking action altogether and then we're nowhere further ahead. Versus, what is the worst thing that's going to happen? And then what are you going to do when that happens? So, fine. <laughs> it really does, right? It's so disarming how powerful this work is. So my friends, if you're inside of the Flower Boss Boot Camp, don't forget... You can bring any of this work to our live mentoring calls, like any of it. I have made this work and these exercises based on my own experience, so I am also more than happy to tell you more about my own thoughts about going through some of these experiences. So you can bring it to one of our live business mentoring calls in the week. You can also bring it to one of our sessions with Jenny Grisecci. And then for those of you that aren't in the program, what are you waiting for? (laughs) Like, it's so good. This program is fucking amazing. I am so in love with it. And these humans, these humans inside of this program, like, I have never experienced so much love. It's so fun that we get to hang out and connect and build our businesses together. And they are waiting to work with you, my friends. They will welcome you with open arms and they will be so excited to hear from you. So sign up for the program, and for those of you who are in the program, if you want to go into this work any deeper, it's inside of Module 9, Fear of Failure. 
Remember, you can submit that for a homework review if you want to get my input on it and or bring any of this work to the weekly mentoring sessions. So fun. So, so fun. Okay, my friends, hopefully this is helpful. Go out there and actually articulate for yourself. Say it out loud more powerfully. Write it down. Look at it and then make a plan for your worst case scenario. Have an amazing week, my friends, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye for now.